Welcome to episode 7 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn. We're coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana with the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. What are we talking about today, James? We're going to be talking about Daredevil and also a Polish-French film uh, called Possession starring Sam Neill. And for that Daredevil conversation, our buddy and sort of resident comic book expert John Marquez is joining us. Hello. <laughs> Super confident out the gate. Uh, and all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. Yes? We overlock. You have someone? Yes. For a long time? Matter? Yes. Yes. Do you sleep with him? Yes. Do you like it? Yes. More than with me? Yes. I see. How do you intend to live now? We have to discuss it. Now. As you want. Half an hour at the Cafe Einstein. I'm too far for half an hour. You calling from there? Yes. Is he listening? No. But he is there. Now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. This is where James and I sort of bounce back and forth, recommending films to each other. Um, a couple years ago, I saw a music video for the Crystal Castle's song Plague uh, that featured clips of the strange um, art horror film from uh, Europe in the 80s, and I had no idea what I was looking at. Uh, I ended up looking a little further into it, um, and it was for the movie Possession, uh, which I ended up watching last year. And it terrified me. It's such a beautiful masterpiece of like art house horror, just madness. Um, and I had it on our list of uh, movies to talk about for a while. And James just saw it and asked me if I had seen it before. So I figured we should just dive right into it. Um, it is a beautiful movie uh, set on the streets of Berlin. It's an international production. It's French and German uh, producers, a Polish director, uh, actors from New Zealand and uh, France. Um, it's really just all over the place. Uh, and when you first look into it, uh, in the first like maybe five minutes, there's these heavy synths and this, the city's uh, the city's this cold, desolate, empty streets. I believe it was filmed in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the very first shot is actually of the Berlin Wall. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you sort of get this vibe that you're about to watch this like vampire movie because uh, Sam Neill comes home um, from a vague mission that he was on. Uh, it, it's kind of implied that he was a, an, an international spy, but it never really gets that explicit. Um, and he finds out that his wife is with a new man. Um, you kind of get the vibe that the new guy is a vampire leader. But, and that's why he's like um, sort of hypnotizing her away from her husband. But it turns out that there is no explanation for the horrors of this film. (laughs) It just gets weirder and more confusing as it goes along, uh, which kind of makes a punchline out of one of the first um, exchanges they have. They're in bed and she says, uh, maybe all couples go through this. 
I don't I don't know exactly what's happening in possession, but I can guarantee that not all couples go through whatever the fuck is going on in this movie. <laughs> so I guess I gotta ask James just outright, like, what were your first impressions on possession? I mean, the whole reason I'd ask if you had seen it is because I think similar to you, I thought it was a masterpiece. Yeah, I I absolutely loved pretty much everything about it. I mean, you kind of know my taste, and this kind of movie is like right up my alley it in parts reminded me of Brian De Palma films I also like got a, a sense of like Roman Polanski in Cronenberg there. Cronenberg with the body horror stuff also a lot of parts with you know them just fighting like in such a physical violent sort of way reminded me of like Antichrist which I know you haven't seen yet but Basically, it just reminded me of a lot of other films I've seen that I would also call masterpieces. And it just, something I really liked about it too that you kind of touched on was these tonal shifts. Like, the first part of the movie feels like, you know, you're watching the end of a relationship and it's kind of a domestic drama. And then it shifts to a straight up, like, horror film. And then by the end, we're in it kind of like an action movie there's like a car chase and <laughs> a political thriller maybe and a political thriller there's that i mean that's something else i found interesting about the movie was there definitely seems to be a political context here i mean the like i said first shot is of the berlin wall so it's already letting you know about like divisiveness and it's the end of a relationship but also the fact that the director was kind of kicked out of Poland for a while and that you know ex-communist dictatorship there seems to be something political going on but it's not actually I think the main point of the film it's just kind of like a subtext I think for with, everything. with everything else going on here like you'd have to reach pretty far to nail down any solid meaning f- for that yeah like I think one of the last shots is uh the wife in a bathtub and you can hear airstrikes playing right there's like kind of like a nuclear war going on just in the audio right but there's no explanation as to what that means or what that's trying to convey it's like you kind of it's up for your interpretation which i love the you know when movies do that they don't just lay it out for you but i do think at its heart it really is just about the end of a relationship um yeah it kind of turns like romantic discord into like a horror like there's no specific monster or threat in this film, but um, that feeling of like a long-term relationship unraveling is like the horrifying uh, aspect at play here. Right, and you you can kind of make the the assumption, I guess, that the monster is sort of the like physical manifestation of their, I don't know, ideas about marriage and the ending of the relationship and. You know, so after the movie was over, you can kind of sort of piece together what he was trying to say, but it's, I don't know, it's so up for interpretation. I love that because it just leads to further discussion. The most I could get out of that, like any solid aspect, is the way the two men that are sort of fighting for her attention um, are getting jealous with where she's spending her time. Uh, And she has her own space that she sort of escapes to mm-hmm. uh, 
and they're horrified by what they find there. Like, she has her own apartment separated from what they do, and once they find out what's going on in her personal space, it's this, like, horror show of, like, these, like, Cronenberg monsters she's building, and Mm -hmm. these, like, uh, she's just, like, murdering people and keeping them in the fridge, and, like, fucking these demons that she, like, (laughs) created herself. Well, but what's interesting about the demon is it kind of takes its true form or it's like ultimate form it turns into a doppelganger for her ex-husband right so and that's another interesting element of the film is there's two doppelgangers in there you have sam neal who's dating his son's school teacher who looks just like his ex-wife except she like has her hair a little bit different and just dresses a little bit nicer and then you have, you know, his ex-wife who has this like weird, I don't know, art, artsy, sec- very sexual guy that she's into. But at the end of the day, the the monster ends up just being another version of her husband. So I, I kind of took that to mean like they're both looking for kind of idealized versions of each other and that will lead to ruin. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Because, well, yeah, the version, the school teacher version of his ex that he finds is just like too kind and too understanding and like right. too doting. It's, just, it's very strange. Uh, it's almost like a Stepford wife situation. Like she doesn't feel like a real person. Well, and that you know, and at the end of the movie, when uh, the Sam Neil doppelganger is trying to get in to the apartment, his son is like, "No, don't let him in." Because I think the son knows, like... That's not my dad. <laughs> yeah, that's not actually my dad. So... And uh, I guess there's more, like, literal uh, romantic unraveling in the way the son is sort of left on his own while the parents are figuring oh, shit out. Oh, he's just left in, like, filth, basically. They yeah. just leave the house for long periods of time. And, and this is, like, a six-year-old child about? Like, maybe six? Yeah, and he's left to, like, fend for himself while his parents are beating the shit out of each other. I mean, if you leave a little kid alone for like six minutes, their like shirt becomes a napkin, you know, and they're just like covered in like chocolate ice cream and crap. Uh, this kid's left alone for like days. So he's just like rolling around in his own garbage. Uh, yeah, and the, the son's always sort of an afterthought, which is really sad. Like, the treatment of him in the film is like, someone needs to call CPS on these people because <laughs> <laughs> they are not being good parents. They're too wrapped up in their own drama well, um, I, I would just like to say that the part that struck me most while watching this movie is the camera movement. Oh, yes. Uh, I feel like um, around this time is when slasher films were becoming popular in America. Um, and the way the camera moves in this movie takes that uh, first-person spe- perspective of like Jason Voorhees chasing you down a hallway mm-hmm. and just turns it into its own art form. Like, the camera chasing people in this movie and just following their, like, mad movements is just so unnerving to me. And I've never been more scared by just, like, cinematography before in my life. The camera movements reminded me a lot of, um, especially when they're in the apartment chasing each other, like, The Shining. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick, like, the way he kind of followed them around. And I, I love the mixture of the really shaky like close-up cameras but also there's these really kind of elegant um like tracking shots right 
there's a scene I love. It's it's like a very minor scene in the very beginning, where he's like meeting with his employers, and the camera just follows, goes in a circle around the room, and it just keeps doing it, and you get this sense of like being sucked into a whirlpool that's really awesome. And there's a few other moments like that. Yeah, I don't know a lot about architecture. Um, to really talk about it in like concrete terms, but I know that this movie uses architecture in like a really just disturbing way. Because that that office scene is in this giant empty circular room, and the camera just follows the wall uh, and just makes you feel so cold and so tiny. I mean, I actually think that that has a lot to do with uh, Germany, right? And that, that brutalism is that the right word i think i think it is i'm not a big architecture person either but yeah these like concrete structures they're really big into like mammoth like and using nothing but it's blunt it's not decorative uh it's just so cold and it feels like they treated the city like a playground like it's just this big empty nothing that they're running around in the streets it's so bizarre and it's really unnerving yeah i mean that i think that aspect of like Cold War Russia is very important to the, to the film. Just from like, yeah, the wall itself as a symbol of you know division in a relationship, but also the coldness of the buildings. It kind of seeps through everything. So yeah, I do think that's another important aspect of the film. And it's but, so easy to talk about it in these like big art terms like this, but at the same time. It pulls, like you're kind of saying earlier, it pulls from so many different like genre film aspects. Yeah. Uh, that it's it's a lot more digestible than you can make it sound when you like try to talk about it and like why it's made so well because it I, is like a fun horror film in a way. Like yeah, I think we've kind of neglected to talk about the performances because oh, they're man. really what kind of drive the movie. You know, that's the first thing you kind of notice. It's just like this weird way that they both kind of overact a little bit and all the characters sort of just act strange and deliver their lines in like a very weird, like not natural way. But it just adds to that sense of like unease, like these people aren't really in touch with reality. You know, Sam Neill in particular is uh, so fun to watch in this. There's a, at least two scenes where he's in a rocking chair just staring at nothing. Oh, and the way the camera will just stay in one spot, you see him go in and out on the, the rocking frame chair. in the rocking chair, and there's a point where he's just totally, like, beside himself, and he's just saying, Mom, Mom, <laughs> Mom, just <laughs> saying Mom into the phone, and just, like, after the she tells him the relationship's over, he just, is, his apartment is covered in filth, and he's just wallowing in his own despair, and, like, so his performance is way off the deep end, and then hers is as well. I, I kind of found her to be the most muted out of the out of the people in the movie, because um, she's kind of a mystery that these like two men are trying to unravel, and mm-hmm. the two men were more cartoonish to me. Like the the other guy is hilarious, like with his karate chops and his like. Uh, yeah, he's a pompous. He's an ass. ass. Well, she. I guess I say that she's over the top in the sense that like. When she finally does show emotion, like you said, for the most part, she's pretty muted and just seems kind of damaged and kind of 
just stuck inside of herself but when she does have that outpouring of emotion it's mm-hmm. so like so brutal and like she puts it all on the line i i remember reading that the actress had like for years like it took her to get over playing this role it was basically like ptsd because she had to put so much out there emotionally and that scene in the train station yeah is like kind of the pinnacle of that that's the uh part that they mostly pulled for the um crystal castles video Mm -hmm. uh and it's it it was kind of alternating between that and the scene where she's like being really harsh in her ballet class because she teaches ballet um but yeah, the train station scene, I believe she's carrying groceries, and this is shown as a flashback, uh, with no explanation, but from what I understand, she was carrying groceries, and she had some kind of miscarriage, uh, but it's this violent, um, sort of like an evil version of like Kate Bush's interpretive dance uh, stuff, work that she does, right. where she's just like smashing this food against the wall, and screaming, and rolling around, and it's such like a perfect visual interpretation of madness, um, that there really doesn't need to be too fine a point put on it as to what exactly is happening. Yeah, I think you can... I, I don't know. I, I kind of took it to maybe mean that she had a miscarriage, you know, and that's sort of what brought about the end of their their marriage. But again, kind of like all the political stuff and any overall meaning from the film, it's like you can't quite pinpoint exactly what it is. But yeah, that scene is a perfect... like really her performance in general is such a good performance of madness you know um yeah that i mean i'd say that probably is the centerpiece of the film even though there's like i mean the monsters are striking in their own like artistry kind of way uh and there's definitely um scenes where they're having these like knock them out fights in their apartment uh there's a couple particularly nasty uh bouts with an electric meat carver that stick out in my mind but oh um, that scene just like I was on the edge of my seat because yeah. I could see it was sort of coming and then just out of nowhere. Oh my God. But yeah, there's something about that um, that miscarriage, I'm calling it miscarriage scene, the scene with the groceries in the train mm-hmm. station that really does stand out as like the centerpiece of this movie. Like if you need a reason to watch this film, just like watch that clip and it'll blow your mind. Yeah, but there is like, you, you know, the meat carving scene, the scene where he walks in on her having sex with the tentacle monster and just like there are peppered throughout just like some really like kind of I'm sure shocking they're still sort of shocking today and I don't know it just uh it really is a great movie I I, I really loved it <laughs> I kind of wish I could go back and watch the edited cut that reached the United States because it was cut down by 45 minutes yeah so I'm like curious as to what they left out because um, it is horrifying, but I've seen worse in movies from that time period, I think. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting because it's not... It's a horror movie, for sure. But, I don't know, for parts of it, it's not it's not horror in the sense that it's, like, particularly violent and, like, in a bloody sort of way. It's more of a horror film, like, every shot, every scene has, like, a sense of dread right behind it it's you know it's more of like an existential horror than an actual like you know jason chasing you around with a knife even though there is a little bit of that well the camera does that so that the the characters don't have to like uh although there is this like kind of creepy monster we're describing here the monster doesn't like chase anybody it just sort of lives where it lives uh 
it's the camera and the um the relationship and just different um sort of vague abstract concepts that are terrifying here and that gets more under my skin that ambiguity than than a monster would and it's sort of um it sort of reminds me of like H.P. Lovecraft oh, totally. a little bit. That idea, you know, it's not like a specific monster really. It's the more, like I was saying, the existential, the cosmic dread behind it. That that's the actual scary. The like unknown is more scary than the monster. And I, w- I wonder how know. interested Sam Neill is in that kind of stuff because he was in uh, Mouth of Madness and uh, Event Horizon, and they all have that same kind of like. Lovecraftian, uh, yeah, bizarre nature to them. I don't know if that's like a personal choice with him when he's picking his roles, but he's kind of made like a small little like batch of his career dedicated to this kind of horror. I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I definitely that's another influence. Like there, so many influences in this film from things that I already love. Right. You know, so it was like kind of the perfect encapsulation of like of a lot of awesome shit basically <laughs> yeah if I, if I have to bring this to a close I would just say like this is that mashup of sort of like lowly genre elements and just like fine art that right. I love so I much I love that too this is like why yeah. I watch movies trying to find stuff like this um, and it's it's interesting when it was released it was treated mostly as the lower trash end uh, people lumped it in with like uh, what British people used to call the nasties which right. like basically their version of Grindhouse um, but it's not a gross-out horror in that way. There's something much more delicate and just... Uh, yeah, and it's sort of like with the with the Devils. You know, it got all this controversy. It was put on the, like, video nasty list, and it's like people kind of miss the point. Right. You know, and in this film, yeah, you can focus on a lot of the really out-there bizarre stuff, but at its heart, it's just a story, you know, a great story about a marriage on the brink of disaster, you know, are already past the brink of disaster <laughs> into the unknown. Void. Yeah. <laughs> unknown is definitely like a good word to describe anything that's going on here. Um, I cannot tell you exactly what happens in this movie, but I can tell you that you will be affected by what you see. Yeah. And I definitely want to check out more of this director's Zalowski. Yeah. Um, I, I don't exactly know how to pronounce the name. I believe it's Zalowski. Zalowski. Yeah. He, I don't know, he has other movies, and the fact, just the fact that he was like, kind of had to leave Poland for a while to make the films that he wanted, and this was one of them, I don't know, I'm interested to see more of his work, and it made me respect Sam Neill on a whole nother level, because I've never seen him act quite this bizarrely. Oh yeah. And just great all around, the cinematography, like we talked about, the directing, acting, Everything off the charts for me. I loved it. It's perfect. Check it out. (laughs) Bye. Listen to this. Eyewitnesses say that Casada was singled out by the demonic vigilante known as the Daredevil. I don't know why you read that trash. You've know. been hearing stories about this guy for years. There's got to be something to it. What, like the alligators in the sewers? There are alligators in the sewers. Don't ride my ass about the alligators. i got a friend in sanitation, okay? You've seen them. Fine. Let's drop it. Wake me up inside. Now it's time to talk about the Daredevil movies. <laughs> uh, for this conversation, our friend John Marquez is coming back. Hey. 
This is hey, the first John. time we've had a returning guest on the podcast, which is pretty awesome. I feel good. So we get more free labor out of our friends. Yeah. Um, we're kind of returning to uh, a conversation we had last time when John was here when we talked about Batman. And uh, Ben Affleck was actually the top of John's Batman list. A rising star as of today. <laughs> He's been rising for like 20 years. Um, and Affleck had once before been in a uh, superhero movie, but it didn't work out quite as well as Batman vs. Superman, which is kind of depressing to think about because that movie wasn't great either. Um, <laughs> just has bad luck. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just movies. had Batman. So Ben Affleck's been good in two terrible superhero movies, and the first one was Daredevil in 2003. Uh, it's also a good time to go back and watch this movie right now because Netflix just came out with a pretty um, critically acclaimed uh, version of the same character. Uh, so what did y'all think of this movie? I'm just going to go out, come out the gate and say I thought it was terrible. Uh, I know James disagrees with that to a point. Yeah, I mean, well, your definition of terrible, I think, is... A little different than mine. Like you still had fun watching it. Yeah, right? it's a compliment in a way. I enjoy. I enjoyed parts of it, um, and I wouldn't say it's awful. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty, pretty middle of the road. But it has its moments. I I'd had fun watching this movie the same way we had fun when we uh, got drunk and watched Catwoman. Uh, sort of heckled it because it is a bad movie, but it's it's bad enough to be entertaining as like campy crap. Uh, but I also know that John, who is a comic book aficionado, um, you don't really get into movies in that same way where they're like so bad you enjoy them, right? Yeah. Well, I was sober watching it, <laughs> and I noticed there were some high points and some low points. Most of the low points killed the movie for me, pretty much. But there were high points, like the the digital effects were, yeah, like there was. It had very matrix digital effects where they take the characters and make them digital. But they also had cool little sentimental things with him doing the vision in the rain. That mm-hmm. was very nice. But you had a problem with that a little bit? Or just like. Well, I like how off? bad it is. But yeah, basically, he's. Uh, just in case you don't know Daredevil as a character, he's a lawyer by day and a superhero vigilante by night. Uh, he is a blind gentleman. Uh, his. <laughs> Um, superpowers come from the fact that he is blind and he has sort of like a heightened sense uh, in every other respect and he has this radar vision that he gets from his uh, astute hearing I believe kind of like a bat Uh, and he sees in this like blue blueprint version of the Matrix uh, which they were very recognizably stealing from the Matrix which I thought was funny I think a lot of things were stolen from other movies for this movie yeah the Matrix uh, Spider-Man for days uh um well i think punisher came out next but there was a i guess punisher stole from daredevil the double d's being on fire oh yeah that's right and the music the music was nickelback evanescence (laughs) yeah i didn't name drop evanescence for no reason at the Mm. beginning uh when, the, when their song Wake Me Up Inside comes on, uh, I believe Elektra is training by herself in some kind of dojo, um, and I laughed so, oh, so hard. She throws a, whatever that thing is. Katanas? Weapon. No, it's not katanas. She just throws it at a bag that has a <laughs> devil face on it. It's yeah. a very crudely drawn devil face. <laughs> uh, and yeah, the first time he gets in a bar fight, he... Uh, the first time he gets in a bar fight, it looks like an axe ad. Uh, he like basically starts this whole like uh 
fight over this guy who got off light. Uh, basically, he, he brings justice to people who get by the judicial system. Um, mm. And I believe the second time he threatens someone, uh, he kills them with a subway train. Is that right? And that's when he, he lights does, his diesel yeah. fire. So that he does kill someone in the movie. I believe so. He does a lot of kind of immoral, <laughs> like killing for someone that's supposed to be a lawyer defending the defenseless. Yeah, he uh, kills a lot of defenseless people <laughs> throughout the movie. There's a I don't know if you know. I know you probably oh, know more about the he... comic books, but is that kind of the central theme of the Daredevil character? This kind of conflicted. Uh, depends on the justice. depends on the writer. I remember Frank Miller made him very much an anti-hero. I remember seeing it like he had a gun on one cover, pulled it on someone. So I don't know if he kills. He probably does go to the extreme, but in the extreme where it's it, he can get away with it, but it's valid for him to do it. And I don't know what bothered me was a little bit. It's also happening in the TV show, but in the movie, at the end of the movie, he pushes Bullseye out. By the way, I'm ruining it. Pushes <laughs> Bullseye out of the church. This movie spoils itself. Don't worry about that. <laughs> so he falls down to his death, sort of, but he survived at the end. But the priest gives him basically a thumbs up, like, go go get him after he goes after the kingpin. The kingpin well, is there is, and there's like a weird kind of American sense of like justice and morality in that we're like, if we kill heinous people, then, you know, that's justice. Like, Actually, killing criminals is, like, a good thing. That comes up to the thing in the TV show where him, I would just watch the episode with Punisher and him on the rooftop, and they have a very good explanation of who they both are, which are both crazy, but not in the way, but they have... Is that the one where conflict. Punisher gives him, like, an ultimatum? Like, either yeah. you kill this man, or I'm gonna kill him... Or yeah. you kill me. Like, you have to kill somebody. You have to get your hands mm -hmm. dirty. And But he's done that story in the first season of that TV show. Yeah. I mean, I like the show, and I think it's done very well. Uh, but I don't think it's made for me. Um, I I guess instead of saying... Is it a fanboy kind of thing? I think so. I feel like it's a very hard corrective to this movie. Like, this uh, 2000s movie is so, so corny... And it's from an era where comic book movies feel like they were made for children. Mm -hmm. That this movie feels like it's going out of its way to be like, this can be a for adults too. It's got this very like Christopher Nolan Batman kind of feel to it. That's what kind of sucks about comic books because they need to like, I mean the comic book shows or movies, the grittiness. Mm -hmm. They need to take the grittiness out a little bit. But there are comic books like Daredevil is the comic book that's kind of gritty. All the side of the time it's comic book so you can have a little fun added in towards it. And I think the... Uh the movie too is like a little too middling as far as trying to trying to appeal to that gritty side of the comic book but also they have a romance that's like central to the movie and it's like it's trying to be too many things <laughs> at once and uh so speaking of the romance <laughs> right uh we uh i was comparing it earlier to catwoman but there's a very catwoman-esque scene in this movie oh yeah the you know the playground uh, i guess they're flirting fighting scene very similar to the basketball scene in Catwoman right. which is pretty infamous so for yeah how awful it is uh, Daredevil first spots Elektra in a cafe and he sort of like follows her uh, basically, sexually harasses her yeah exactly he's too. trying to hit on her and she wants nothing of it and it comes to blows and they start beating the shit out of each other in this playground what other ways they're <laughs> yeah, fuck. That's, that's courting uh, fuck. in the comic book world. <laughs> and all these little kids are cheering them on as they're punching each other in the face. And it is 
one of the most laughably bad scenes I've seen in a long time. And there are two other scenes in this movie I feel like are up there in ridiculousness. But this one feels, feels very elaborate. And I think my favorite factoid over this whole franchise was that that scene took four days to film. They put so much effort in this fight flirting scene on the playground. Uh, and it's just blows up in their face. But it's it, so ridiculous. But it, now is one of the other two scenes the rain no. scene? Because to me, that's you could sort of see that as being like kind of campy and ridiculous. But it's actually probably one of the best scenes in the entire movie. And it's actually executed extremely well. And it kind of shows that, like, there is a good movie hiding in there somewhere. It just, like, there's too much other stuff going on that's bad. The other scenes that made me laugh were the uh, origin story parts where he's a little kid and he's first discovering his powers. Uh, There's one scene where he beats the shit out of his bullies with his his, uh, walking stick. Um, with his like blind guidance stick um, he just beats the crap out of these bullies uh, and I think that scene's very funny oh it is because the acting I don't know oh it's so bad <laughs> uh, it feels like some kind of like Nickelodeon it feels like a clip from all that or something that just very turns very violent um, but also when he's a kid I feel like they do this thing where they're trying to make it seem like being blind is super cool so they like show him with these rad sunglasses and he's uh, doing gymnastics on the roof in New York City uh, and just sort of like showing off how awesome he is, but and, isn't that directly ripped off from Spider-Man that came out oh, a few totally. months before? All those scenes on the rooftop of training and jumping over buildings, like it, it seemed directly like they saw. Oh, Spider-Man made so much money, so we need to do exactly the same thing and appeal to like that PG thirteen demographic. When really, it if it to stand the test of time, the movie should have just been like a grittier, uh, kind of like the TV show, but still had some like fun elements. Yeah. And uh, well, the director's cut has this uh, sort of subplot that's more serious, where uh, basically you see the lawyer lawyering side of uh, Daredevil's life that you don't get uh, in the theatrical cut. He's basically trying to get Coolio off trial for murder. Um, but that's just a small part that can't like save it at all. No, right? not no. at all. And I don't think more violence would have made this movie more memorable. Like, if you're gonna rebuild this film, you have to kind of do it from the ground up. I think there was kind of enough violence in it. Less we, subplots, yeah. man. Well, I think that's yeah, what it was. it's very muddled. Um, but you can sort of see the MCU beginnings here. Like John Favreau plays his uh, buddy Foggy Nelson, um, and. Uh, you know, Favreau went on to direct uh, the first two Iron Man films, um, and you can sort of feel them doing that balance between violence and camp, which I feel like is what makes movies like The Avengers more fun to watch than this. But most of it just falls so flat, and I honestly think a lot of it has to do with the terrible rock music. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That Evanescence part is just so bad, and it's trying to f- be so cool. But that, but I don't know. I, the movie itself is kind of like a Nickelback kind of scenario <laughs> where it's kind of past it's it feels like a 90s film right but it's not it's made in like the 2000s and it's just holding on to like you know rock radio from the 90s and like what made certain movies like Spider-Man and the Matrix and stuff like that cool at the time. And that's kind of how Hollywood works. They repeat past successes. Like, they don't want to take chances. And then Electra sort of feels like that even more. 
it's like playing off of something that's playing off of something that used to be popular. And it's just, but Electra's so boring that uh, it didn't like give anything fresh compared no. to Daredevil or any of those movies at the time. Nothing was different. Nothing fresh. Not even the female lead or anything like that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like Electra's corrective. It was basically trying to do the same thing that the Netflix series did, where it took a more serious approach to the characters, uh, and it was less like fun. Uh, and it's just not good enough to carry that kind of dramatic weight. It is such a boring film. Yeah, boring. No, no, no funny lines. Maybe a few kind of cool scenes and moments, but you know, there's this one goofy character who has these tattoos that uh, these like spirit animals come out of and attack people. Uh, that maybe the one memorable thing from this whole film except for Electra's getup which is this sort of like red lingerie thing that she wears uh, which is like so fucking embarrassing to watch because she's supposed to be this powerful superhero and she's just treated like a sexual object like any other female well and I'll also say the uh, supposed twist in the movie of they're trying to find the treasure you know and it turns out to be the girl the girl is the Uh. treasure now I saw that shit coming within the like as soon as we meet her as a character and we know about the treasure it's like oh it's it's the girl obviously and then an hour goes by and they it's a great big reveal and it's just like super lame because you see it coming from a mile away um, I do I do like a couple things they do with the electric character in the movie uh, she is basically this like killer assassin that both good and evil forces are trying to like uh, recruit for almost like a weapon um, and you see that echoed in the Netflix show she's uh, trying to be recruited by the hand um, and Daredevil's trying to like, I guess bring her back to the good side uh, whatever you want to call that um, vigilantism um, but it's not good like, <laughs> it's just so boring and it's done better on the TV show I think a lot of things are done better on the TV show mm-hmm. uh, Kingpin granted Michael Clark Duncan Awesome. I, I loved yeah. him in the... But like, it wasn't yeah. just enough of him compared yeah. to how it is in the TV show with, uh, what's his name? Vincent oh, D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. And giving such a strange odd performance with his speeches, mannerisms of how he talks. It's like... <sighs> yeah, it's like <laughs> My, Michael Clark Duncan it's like was he's pure... like or something. Michael Clark Duncan was like pure physicality. Yeah. And then D'Onofrio's a little bit more just like weird and off like and he's still got the same power that Michael Clark Duncan does but Michael Clark Duncan's character Kingpin was just more the power side and she kind of showed another subplot of how he's in control but that's that movie and she can't like show how much control he has in the TV show granted there is more do in a TV show yeah that's an off-road performance was probably actually my favorite part of the entire Netflix series uh, just because it's so off-putting, and you can tell this is sort of a man who's shrouded from normal personal interactions. Like, he's sort of just uh, completely separated from being told no ever, or ever being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's an interesting take on like the way power spoils you and sort of separates you from normal society. He has a lot of characteristics that are interesting, especially like the, the wall, the, the painting or whatever it was. That was really cool. Oh, yeah. Um... Since you liked that character in season two, did you feel like the Punisher was a good one or? I, I thought the Punisher was interesting. I, I, it's like I said, the show's just grittier in a way that I normally like my comic book stuff. 
like I would even say the Batman movies from Christopher Nolan that a lot of these like grittier superhero adaptations take from, they have more humor than people give them credit for. Like the reason that the Dark Knight is so fun to watch is because Heath Ledger is actually really hilarious in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I like that balance between being really dark and really funny. Uh, I feel like the I mean, Daredevil show is only funny when Foggy Nelson's on the screen. Yeah, like, totally. The rest of the uh, show is just very serious. Um, and I, I, I respect it. I think it's really well made. Especially the fight choreography is fantastic. Yeah. But uh, I kind of get bored watching the procedural, uh, serious side of it. No, I feel the same way. The superheroes do have a sarcastic side to them in the comic books that they never really show. I guess they always got to be serious. But speaking of the the fight scenes, it is funny watching Elektra and Daredevil, you know, early 2000s and kind of seeing the style of fighting that was popular back then. A lot of quick cuts. It feels like a music video. Yeah, exactly. Really quick, like shots only last for a few seconds. Everything very 2000. Yeah, people flying through the air. uh, And nowadays it's gotten much more like personal like close yeah and it's almost like the Jackie Chan effect where it's like actually choreographed uh there's these like moves you can tell were planned ahead of time they're just executed very well and it's shot to show clearly what's happening from second to second whereas like in the early 2000s they're basically just trying to distract you from what's happening you sort of get lost or yeah or we just put someone on like a wire harness and just throw them through the air and filming in really quick cuts and like that style of fight choreography has fallen out of favor and I think that's why those older movies Elektra and Daredevil with the soundtrack and with that kind of fighting and the overall glossy kind of look just feel super dated Yeah, going back and watching those um, I'm also glad the Daredevil show exists because it's given birth to other Netflix series that are interesting to me. Like, I thought Jessica Jones was a fantastic season of television, and it has more of that balance between humor and grit that I that I find fun to watch. Almost perfect. That's yeah, a perfectly balanced show, I would say. And I, I, It was one of those shows where like I absolutely had to see what happened next, where with Daredevil, I've seen about 70% of it, and I feel like I'm good. Uh... And that's a jerky thing for me to say, but it just wasn't for me, you know? Um, and I, I think that it has something to do with the characters. Like, I, Punisher is an interesting um, force because it is so uh, serious and so menacing. But I can only take so much of that before I get kind of bored. That makes sense. I mean, I think the dynamic of between Punisher and Daredevil's interesting because they're kind of two sides of the same coin totally they say ah, I mean again I haven't read any of the comics but it do they ever like interact together in the comic books because it seems like they would be perfect it's kind of dueling in the comic books Punisher's always everyone has a problem with Punisher because he goes the distance and that's pretty much always the problem every time they meet him because right. they pretty much want to stop him from killing someone but there is that validated reason for him to kill people because he's always killing the bad guys the so-called bad guys so and that's sort of the same thing that daredevil yeah kind of does in the movie too like yeah he killed yeah. that guy on the train station but right. he's like on an, i don't know what it was but he didn't have remorse just like um just like the punish doesn't have remorse but when he's forced to kill someone 
he'll not do it. Unless he... Depends on his mood, I guess. Daredevil's mood. The devil's mood, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's a good metaphor, I guess, right? Yeah, I think... Daredevil seems like he, he's one step away from being the Punisher, honestly. And, and, and that that's is what's a, quoted in the, in the show. There's just one bad day away. It's for right. like every superhero, basically. And that's, that's a much more interesting dynamic than what you get in the movie, which is Bullseye. And I would say Colin Farrell performances Bullseye probably the worst aspect of Daredevil, which is impressive because the movie is bad. Uh, he is just so hard to watch. He's got this like sort of Bugs Bunny winking to the camera kind of uh, performance that really takes you out of it. And it's just such an undeniable bad guy that I just would have rather watch uh, Michael Clark Duncan instead of being distracted by him. I think that's what it should have been, the Kingpin. And I find that the Bullseye's character, Colin Farrell, was just very romantic when he killed people. And that was also a thing. That's still a thing with killers killing people they get really close and see and do the kiss and it's like you see in their eyes like yeah like when he yeah when he killed that old woman yeah on the on the plane he like shoots a something down her throat so peanut yeah peanut or some paper he kind of gets very close to her and like whispers in her ear he enjoys it and that's something that's still in movies it's just i don't know to be honest like i get what you're saying but i now that i think about it it was it was enjoy like I. I, I didn't don't know. enjoy his. Come on, it was a, it was ridiculous, and he was winking at the camera the whole time. Yeah, but it's I, weird because the reason I like the, watching this movie is because it does get so cheesily bad. But there's something about his performance. Right, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, it's what, a, what is a, it about him? Because he's obviously hitting that level of cheese that you like, but it's not your particular brand consider this consider this uh tommy wasau who did who directed the room right uh-huh. he was really funny in the room because he's trying to be great and he's just so bad at it mm-hmm. since the room everything he's done it's is to terrible that because he knows that people aesthetic. find him funny and it's not the joke's not good anymore i feel like colin farrell sticks out here because he's playing this like over the top character on purpose and trying to be kind of ridiculous, where everyone else is playing the material pretty straight. And he just kind of takes me out of what I enjoy about this movie's failures. I think this has to be a whole another conversation with how you see these type of... <laughs> I mean, the intricacies of, of camp yeah. is, uh, is, um, is interesting. Well, so did you find Michael Clark Duncan's performance campy? It is campy, but I feel like he's giving it his all, and it's genuine. Uh, he's, he's not... He, you're right. He, well, I will say he's not really winking at the camera in the right. same way that Colin Farrell is. It's, I mean, it's the same reason I don't really enjoy most uh, Bruce Campbell performances. It just, like, it's too intentionally goofy in this, like, I'm I'm bigger than this kind of thing. Where he's like, I'm, he's not actually getting his hands dirty, you know? Like, yeah. He's, like, above it all. Uh, and I think Colin Farrell is just, like, hard to watch in this film. I um, think I see a little camp in uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's performance i think yeah i think he's oh d'onofrio is fun camp too but he's 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 more like a hannibal lecter uh kind of camp like it's it's unnerving there's variations of your camp i just don't <laughs> understand yet so i mean i don't even understand so what i I'm guess saying. at the end of the day like because uh, i i do think i enjoyed it more than you mm-hmm. because i think that style of camp like appealed to me more right. on, a, on a real level like i actually enjoyed watching it not like laughing at it but i actually enjoyed a good 
bit of the movie, and I wouldn't say that it's completely without. Like I would merit. say, uh, Ben Affleck's awful wig, awful haircut, and like <laughs> the wig they gave uh, his child version. Uh, to match his awful, like, 2000s bedhead. Yeah. That's much funnier to me than any two seconds of Colin Farrell's performance. <laughs> uh, it's so bad that it makes me laugh, which is, I guess, is w- when I enjoyed this movie most, when I was having those kinds of moments. I feel like there was a good movie in that Daredevil movie. Somewhere. Somewhere. It's yeah. not the director's cut, I can tell you that. Uh, adding <laughs> more stuff to the problem is not... Uh, a fix. And it's it's not Electra either. It's oh, not watering so it down even more. God, y'all sold me on Electra. I have to watch it. Oh, dude. God. Just God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> what, if <I> just, <laughs> what if I just get drunk and have like this is the greatest movie? But ever. see, that's the thing. It's not even enjoyable drunk. It's actually there's like, nothing going on. You hate your like you're drunk and you're watching it and you're just like. I'm drunk and I hate this movie. You might not ever watch a movie ever again. Well, punch my TV, <laughs> is that what you're saying? Uh, more likely you'll punch that fast forward button because uh-huh. it's hard to get through so much of it. Um, I don't know, is there anything else you want to say on the way out? I feel like we've touched a lot of stuff here. Yeah. No, it was... Daredevil TV show is good. It's I'm good. I'm watching it. Still, <laughs> still on it. Daredevil movie. Could have been good. It was, uh, it was a little... I guess the most like controversial I idea I had while watching this, uh, and I, I want to conflict myself here even, was that I understand why there haven't been more female-led superhero movies in the wake of Catwoman and Elektra, because they were such failures and the people in charge of them misunderstood the material so hard that uh, I'm glad that the idea of helming uh, a superhero movie with a woman is not been running the ground by now. Like, I feel like there's a lot more room for a Black Widow movie or a um, Wonder Woman movie to fix this now. Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. If they had if they had done more of these in the early 2000s, people would be have so many more reasons in their arsenal to, like, shoot these down because they're so fucking bad. Jessica Jones is a good savior, then? Oh, uh, Jessica Jones is fantastic, and that's a great version of it because she's treated like a person and she has her problems she has her successes uh whereas Electra is just like wearing lingerie and throwing uh martial arts around <laughs> and just being boring for 90 minutes um but yeah I, it's I, also a problem in comic books too where that history of their design i mean the the i feel like comic books were just misunderstood in the movies for so long um that it's interesting now that we have so much material that some of it's actually pretty great. Uh, there's still boring comic book movies being made all the time. Uh, Batman vs. Superman being a good recent example. But uh, there's there's room for it to grow, and there's definitely a need for better female-led superhero movies to come out now. Um, it might be better that we didn't get more shitty ones in the early 2000s. Thank God. <laughs> it's a bittersweet victory, for sure. Uh, James, you got anything left in you? Um, yeah, the last thing I'll say, a little theory that's working in my head right now, is I do think Daredevil is the Nickelback of superhero movies. Here, that's here. My, that's my theory. <laughs> Look at this photograph. Looks <laughs> <laughs> better in your mouth. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a Nickelback theory. I will, I will read more Daredevil comic books now, just because of the show. It's turned me on to them. Would you go back and watch Howard the Duck if I told you that the comic books were good? I've seen Howard the Duck. I How do you about feel it. about that movie? <laughs> uh, nostalgia. Nostalgia? Yeah. See, I feel like that's the height of like so bad it's good superhero movies. Boy, 
it is a bad movie. I do know that. Oh, totally. Even so, when I was watching it, I was like, so you might, you might, that might be our bridge here, where you <laughs> understand so bad it's good. It's the Howard the Duck movie. And see, that's where we kind of agree because Howard the Duck <laughs> was very enjoyable <laughs> for me. So it, it it has been interesting talking about different uh, levels of camp. Yeah, and what you consider fun, campy, and bad. And, and I would say the Daredevil movie has a little bit of both. Uh, yeah. It, it pleases me for long stretches and annoys me at others. Um, but if you want to see what comic books were like right before the I MCU think got, got its foothold, it's worth a watch. It's interesting, but it's not necessarily good in any like particular way. Yeah. Spider-Man and Blade. Watch those. Uh, yeah. Well, Blade's a fun movie, too. Yeah. Um, well, John, I know you said you were, you've been drawing more lately. Uh, I have. Uh where can people see that? Is that like an Instagram account you have? Or? There is an Instagram. I would like all the likes in my Instagram account is John Marquez Puppet at Instagram.com or something. I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever it is. And uh, I guess uh, I'll plug the fact that we've been um, selling our zines through Not Society Hands Print Shop on Claiborne Avenue. That's not No Hands, is it's it? It's not. I was saying No Hands earlier. It's <laughs> Not Society Hands. I don't know why I have such a hard time remembering that. Um, but yeah, we have uh, a wrestling zine down there. And That's our, a good one. Our movie, the uh, month stuff from last year's there. And I'm hoping around uh, when No Kaz and the New Orleans Book Fair come around this year, I'll have some uh, MCU Avengers uh, Agents of Swamp Flicks stuff coming out. So we'll have a little more uh, comic book media. He handwrites them all, so it's really worth it. Because <laughs> you can see the blood, sweat, and tears. Well, yeah, it's all stuff that you can read for free on the website, but it's uh, do that. reimagined through my crappy handwriting. Uh, <laughs> you want well, it personal. Right, right. Uh, well, I guess that's all for today. Uh, we'll see you all in a couple weeks. Thank you for having me. Bye! Bye. 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 I can't get the last word. Yeah, say, say the last word. Last words.